Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. This week's episode is a story about two college friends from the University of Waterloo in Canada who decided to build a startup. They had an idea for a product that would make teachers more productive. They didn't do any validation or even talk to teachers. They just went ahead and built the product on a hunch. As you can imagine, things didn't go quite to plan when they launched. And we talk about the lessons they learned and how they got to where they are today with over 100,000 teachers worldwide using their product and also having raised $500,000 in their initial seed round. We also talk about how they were discouraged because nobody was buying their product. And then one phone call changed all that and created that aha moment where they figured out how to get teachers who don't have a lot of money using their product and still create a business model where they can make money. So some interesting lessons, and I think you'll get value from this, whatever industry you're in. There's a world where your CRM is powerful, easily configured, and deeply intuitive. Atio makes that a reality. Atio is built specifically for the next generation of companies. It syncs with your data sources, easily configures to their unique structures, and works for any go-to-market motion from self-serve to sales-led. Atio automatically enriches your contacts, syncs your emails and calendar, gives you powerful reports, and lets you quickly build Zapier-style automations. The next generation of companies deserve more than an inflexible, one-size-fits-all CRM. Join 11 Labs, Replicate, Modal, and more, and scale your startup to the next level. Get your free account at atio.com. That's A-T-T-I-O dot com. Hey, are you struggling to grow your SaaS business? As a SaaS founder, you know that having the right tools is crucial for growing your SaaS business effectively. But with so many options, choosing the best ones for your needs can be overwhelming. That's where the SaaS toolkit comes in. This handy guide covers the 12 essential types of tools you need to supercharge your growth. Inside, you'll find a detailed look at tools successful SaaS startups have used to scale to seven figures and beyond. It gives you specific examples and makes practical recommendations to help you choose the right tools for your SaaS business. Don't miss out. Visit thesastoolkit.com to download your free copy and unlock faster growth for your SaaS business. That's thesastoolkit.com. All right. Today's guest is the co-founder and CTO of Chalk.com, a SaaS product that helps teachers with lesson planning, grading, assessment, and attendance. Over 100,000 teachers worldwide are using Chalk.com. The company is based in Toronto, Canada. It was founded in 2012 and to date has raised 500000 in its initial seed round. So today I'd like to welcome Ryan McKay Fleming. Ryan, welcome Thanks to the show. Thanks for inviting me. Cool. It's great to have you here. Now, uh, one of the first things I like to ask people um, when they join me here is what drives them? So what is it for you? What gets you out of bed to, to, to do what you do every day with this business? You know, I was thinking about this. Um, probably the biggest thing is actually just the team. Uh, showing up to work today is just fantastic seeing the uh, enthusiasm of everybody else who works here. And not only that, just uh, the teachers who use the platform. And we get wonderful, wonderful praise from them that we're helping them, which 
for them is apparently, I guess, sort of rare to find uh, things that actually help them save so much time. Cool. So you and William, your co-founder, founded this business in 2012. How did you guys come up with the idea for this business? Ah, long, interesting story. So um, it started actually with William. Uh, he, we were in sort of first year university. Uh, he went back to uh, his hometown of Vancouver, uh, British Columbia, and he was talking with some of his previous high school teachers, and he was there after work. Uh, and what he found was that these teachers are doing like an incredible amount of work after the bell. Uh, you know, a lot of people sort of have the impression that as a teacher, you get like two months off every summer and then you get like March break and all these Christmas vacations and you only work from like eight till three, but that's entirely not the case. Um, still they get in six, seven o'clock in the morning and they leave about five or six. Uh, in between intramurals, marking and grading and all that kind of stuff. So he's sort of like, okay, well, they're here so long. Like, maybe there's some way we can actually help them save time. And so the first idea he had was building a lesson planner to help them manage their lesson content and save time in that aspect of their lives and maybe go from there. Uh, later, in a couple months later, he talked to me about the business. And he's like, hey, you want to do something? And I'm like, okay, sure. Uh, and that's pretty much how I got into it. Um, and then sort of that sort of went on and on and on. So we built the first version of uh, the product over summer, literally at my kitchen table. And then from there, we met our other co-founder, Suraj Srinivas, who handles the sales side of stuff. Cool. So you you, you guys, so, so this you had this idea, um, you and William started to build the, the product. Um, were you guys thinking of it as a business at the time or was it more just like you kind of saw an opportunity to, to, to build something and it was more about the process of actually trying to build a solution that was driving you guys? It's actually kind of crazy. Um, we were very naive it being like first year university. We're like, okay, we're going to build this. We're going to make like a couple hundred thousand dollars in revenue, like by the end of the year, and then we'll move on to something else. And at the time we didn't even necessarily think about, uh, doing just education. We were looking into other things, but as sort of time went on, we realized that there's actually a lot of stuff to do in education and between all of like the feedback we got from teachers, like they really, really needed the help. Okay. So tell me a little bit about what the first version of the product looked like, because from what I understand uh, today, it's a suite of products that help teachers with different aspects of what they do. Um, but what what was the specific problem that you decided to solve initially and, and sort of how did that product look? So the first product that we released was PlanBoard, and that's still sort of our primary focus. We focus a lot on lesson planning. So teachers, every day, they'll have a number of specific classes, and they're required to sort of plan their lesson. What are they going to teach those kids during that day? And more specifically, how does that align with curriculum expectations and standards? Um, so the first version of the product was literally just sort of a timetable where you can enter, I have math class now, um, I'm going to teach them, like show them this video, and then it aligns to saying, can they add these two numbers together or something like that. And it's very, very, very simple sort of day planner. Many teachers actually will have a uh, paper planner that they use for this, but 
being able to track the Sooners content and even just using it as a presentation tool for videos and stuff like that was really interesting to them. That's sort of what it went from. We spent a lot of time with Lamport, and it took us a while before we actually started to do stuff with the assessments and the tenants and that kind of thing. Did you or William uh, do any kind of validation? Did you do the lean startup stuff? Did you go and interview teachers? Did you do any of that stuff before you started building? You know, I don't think we really did. <laughs> um, and looking on back on this, it was sort of, we had almost like shot ourselves in the foot and we didn't know about it um, because we sort of, we, we had these designs for what we thought would work and we built it. And we didn't actually really ask anybody if that was really what they wanted. And we're just sort of uh, fixing a part of that now. And so William actually had had a startup previous to this where he built this uh, a company called Draftboard. It was for doing like um, mock-ups uh, and interfacing with like clients because he had a web design studio. So this wasn't his first like uh, way around the merry-go-round, I guess I would say. Um, but even then, like he was sort of into the, the startup scene, but he, we didn't really realize like what we're doing wrong until later. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So give me, give me one example of that. So I I assume it was something that you designed in the product or thought that it should work in a certain way. And then once you actually got it in front of your customers, you realized, oh no, it's completely different to the reality is completely different to what we thought, I guess. Yeah. So we essentially designed it almost on a hunch. We're like, yeah, this is probably what they'd want. And we built it before actually trying the designs and testing them around. And we're actually, we sort of fix that now. We actually talk a lot with the teachers sort of figuring out what they're going to do. And one of the things we actually realized with the product was that teachers use it almost for two different things. So there's, there's two types of planning. There's lesson planning and then there's sort of day planning. And Planboard sort of did both of them not amazingly. Um, the, the day planning piece would be just like, I'm a teacher, I have these specific classes and I want to keep like some notes about, oh yeah, like make sure to hand out this test or something like that. It's almost like a more glorified calendar. And then on the other side, you have lesson planning, which is very much full form. A lot of um, school districts will actually tell you exactly what you need to do as part of your lesson plan. They'll give you a template that you have to fill out. And then a lot of them, they want to do this before actually scheduling it into their uh, day-to-day flow. And we've just sort of realized that sort of over the past year or so, as we've been talking to clients about like, oh yeah, this was completely foreign to us that they'd actually have to do this very, very full structured thing. Got it. Okay. So you've built the first version of the product back in 2012. What did you guys have to do to, to get your first customer? <laughs> so we're, we were at the University of Waterloo. Um, and the University of Waterloo has a startup accelerator program called Velocity. And as part of that, they have something called the Velocity Venture Fund. I think it might have changed its name since. But you could go in, there's a bunch of like different startups from the university, and then you'd pitch for this uh, competition, right? There's uh, this pitch competition, and we just happened to win that. But as part of that, since it was a pitch pump, like competition in public, one of our actually first users was 
in the audience, which seems bizarre. It's just some random teacher happened to be at the university watching the startups. And that, that actually user, um, he is actually a very important advisor to us now um, because he actually does a lot of stuff with like the, uh, he's almost, he's part of our education advisory board. Um, sort of like, okay, where is education going? How can we help get there, right? But it's just sort of that weird circumstance that you have to find somebody like that. Uh, and going further than that, when we actually first released the product, uh, we charged teachers for it. It was like $30 per, for a teacher for a year. And we did that for a good year. Uh, and we didn't exactly have like the adoption that we wanted. I think by the end of the year, we had like maybe $3,000 or something like that. So not, you can't run a business on that. So we ended up making the decision to make the product itself free for teachers. And that sort of was a bit of a jumping off point um, because a lot of teachers, they just, they don't actually have a lot of money, especially in the United States. They don't get paid quite a lot. So and they have to pay for all this stuff out of pocket. And having a free tool was actually sort of where we started to see growth pick up because now a bunch of people who wouldn't have actually looked at it or even considered it are now actually sort of using it. So that's interesting. And I think that was one of the things that I was going to ask you about. I wasn't quite clear whether you were charging them or it was, because I know on the, on the, on your homepage, it says it's free or whether it was some sort of trial that eventually led to, um, you know, some kind of freemium model or something like that. But so you're not charging these guys. So what, what is the business model that you guys are, are trying to build here? Yeah. So this is where it gets really funky. So in 2012, um, around the end of the year, uh, we were all sort of discouraged because nobody was really buying it. And, but randomly, uh, Will and I, we were in a computer science class and we got a ping, um, saying from somebody, because we had to live chat and they're saying, we want to buy, I think it was like 72 licenses within 24 hours. And we're like, okay, this guy's, they're obviously trolling us. Like, this can't <laughs> be true. Um, but it really was. It, what it turned out to be was this, uh, it was a school in Texas. And a teacher had found the application and then suggested it for their entire, like their entire school. And then they had reached out to us randomly. So that was sort of like the aha moment. We're like, huh, yeah, maybe we should charge people who have money. <laughs> um, and sort of that's where we are now. Uh, we actually provide a premium offering for schools and school districts because they have other problems apart from just the day-to-day lesson planning stuff. Uh, they want to track their curriculum. They want to see how their teachers are doing, how their students are doing. And that's sort of where we actually make a lot of, that's where all of our revenue is from. Oh, I see. So, so if it's a, if it's a teacher as an individual who wants to use chalk.com, they can, they can just come and sign up and not pay anything. But if a school wants to use it across, um, you know, all of their teachers and, and wants to have some additional features, then you're, you're basically delivering a paid version of that product to them. Yeah, that's correct. Um, the big thing we saw right now is actually collaboration on the district scale. So letting teachers work together, share lesson plans and assessments and that kind of stuff. Okay. So you've, you've got this, this random call out of the blue. 
um, you realize that it's not some somebody trolling. It's it's a legit um, school that has this requirement. Mm-hmm. So what happened then? So you said that you were kind of you you two were sort of didn't feel that you were getting traction in 2012. Did this give you some some renewed energy and motivation to sort of try and push harder? And was this sort of like a, an important turning point when you look back? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Because we realized like, okay, well, this could actually be an actual business. And as it so happens in 2013, um, Will and I, uh, we dropped out of school and took those on full time. So actually making revenue was sort of a big deal. Uh, we actually raised our seed um, earlier this year. So for that entire time, we paid ourselves both in the form of like uh, grants and that um, – the app that we've won, but also with revenue. So we're actually paying ourselves, which was kind of cool. Okay, cool. So, so you, okay, right. So because you had, uh, you, you sort of figured out how to start charging schools, you were bringing in some revenue. What kind of marketing were you doing? What, what kind of channels were working for you guys? Were you, was, was this mostly around content marketing? Were you reaching out doing outreach to schools through phone or email? How were you getting the word out? So at least for the free teachers, we actually didn't do any sort of advertising. All of our growth has been word of mouth. Um, We've done a little little bit more recently, but back then it was all entirely word of mouth. Um, As for the school districts, that was all just like Siraj, like hustling, going to conferences, meeting random people and closing deals. Uh, it's a lot more structured now, but that's sort of what it takes in the early days, I guess. You go into 2013. At the start of the year, had you brought any more schools on or you were sort of still working with this first first school from Texas? There was that first one. And I think in that spring, we closed another much bigger okay. one. Okay. So here's yeah. what I'm interested to know. So you guys said you didn't do any any sort of validation or customer development stuff. And, and I think that that's a really good point because you know sometimes i think that there's so much value and wisdom in sort of the whole lean lean startup methodology but mm-hmm. it's it's not the silver bullet right it's not it's not going to guarantee you success if you do that and i think that you guys are also great examples of there are still companies growing and succeeding even if they don't do those things mm-hmm. so you you have to kind of take what you learn with a pinch of salt and, and just apply it in the right context and for whatever situation you're in. Um, but I'm interested to know because you didn't do that stuff. You guys built the product and then you brought on this school. Did you have these kind of moments where you just went, Oh shoot, you know, the product doesn't do what our customer or customers want it to do. Yeah. Um, definitely. I think it was sort of discouraging for us as well, going to different places and finding out that school districts, they all have different sort of requirements or things that they want to solve at that moment. Right. And you have to hit a lot of them to determine sort of what is the, what is it they're looking for? Many of them, they're not necessarily looking for curriculum management. Everybody has a specific problem they want to solve at that specific time. And then there's so many specific problems that need to be solved. You just sort of have to choose one and then go with it and then go from there. So we do curriculum management right now. And that was sort of an aha for us at the beginning of the year when we found out there was 
large charter schools who are looking to make sure that their curriculum was managed properly because they have to report back to their chartering body and that kind of thing. But that's not the only thing. We've also determined that a lot of boards are looking to handle assessment, and that's sort of our next step uh, for outbound sales. Um, there's just so many different things, and there's so many, like all these districts, they all have very widely different problems, but they all don't try to solve everything all at once, and that was sort of an interesting tidbit to learn. Do you have a lot of uh, schools outside of the U.S. using your product? Uh, the majority of our base is in the United States. Um, we have a few in Canada. We have a few in the U.K., and I'm sure I'm missing other ones. Okay. You've got the the product. You're starting to get uh, customers. You've kind of sort of figured out a business model and you guys are able to start paying each other at least a certain amount to sort of keep going. I guess sometime around 2014, you guys started thinking about raising some funding, I guess. Yeah. Um, I think had you, had you, simple. had you or William ever done that before? <laughs> no. Um, and it was pretty incredible to think like, oh yeah, well we're paying all these people, but like, how do we take this to the next level? And we just sort of realized that maybe it'd be kind of hard to just bootstrap this. So we started looking for outside funding. Um, because one thing you'll learn in education is that the sales cycles are like stupidly long and they're seasonal, which is even worse. So just getting to that next point and just being able to get the next round of customers, you actually have to wait sort of a while before they actually will close. And if you're just doing this on um, entirely on revenue, it can be quite difficult. So you need that sort of like buffer, right? Yeah, because I, I guess they're, they're going to think, you know, in school years, and then there's going to be some time before that where they've got to get a budget approved. And before that, they're going to have to think about what they need and submit those requirements. So I, I don't know, what is, yeah. a tip, what is a typical cycle look like to close a sale with a school? How long are we talking about? Months? Years? Oh, yeah, it's in the months. It's not, thankfully, it's not years, but it's in, it's in the months. Uh, for bigger districts, it's probably in the years. We're just sort of, the biggest ones we have are probably medium size at this point. But, I mean, you can sort of um, buffer it a little bit if you were selling in like Australia or something, because they have slightly different time frames. So you can get a little bit of revenue in between. But for the most part, everybody just does spring. That's when everything like, happens and you just start the conversations in the fall. So I'm curious about one thing because I had Pete Kuman, the co-founder of Optimizely on the show a while back. He mentioned a previous startup that he and Dan Stroker had tried to build before Optimizely called uh, Carrot Sticks. And this was like an online math education site for kids. And the business never really took off. It was never profitable. And even though they kept it running for years, they eventually decided to shut it down. And when I asked Pete about why he thought that business had failed, he, he said, you know, they weren't the target customer. They weren't trying to solve a, you know, their own itch. Um, they weren't mm. parents. They weren't teachers. And it was just uh, a, a space that, they didn't have a deep enough understanding to to be successful. Um, whereas when they then went on to launch Optimizely based on 
some of the work that Dan had been doing with the Obama campaign and so on. It was, it was a, a lot easier to, to get traction and build that business. So just kind of thinking about that, I'm curious why, I mean, you guys aren't teachers. Um, obviously yeah. you've been students one time or another. Um, yeah. how, how has that been for you? Do, do you think that that's made it harder for you? Um, and, and also kind of thinking about William and, and you mentioned his previous startup, um, you say it was draft board. Yeah. Is that what it's called? So, so if, if, you know, sort of using a tool like that, when you have a design agency, that makes sense. Cause you're kind of scratching your own itch, but this seemed like an area sort of maybe going outside of your comfort zones and areas of expertise. Did, did you guys feel that that's been a difficult learning curve for you? Is that something you would recommend to people? Interesting question. Yeah. So we're definitely not teachers and we've had to like, there's so much domain knowledge that you have to learn. Right. And I'm still learning about like all these, all this terminology and everything that they have to do uh, made worse by the fact that it seems like every state has some different words for the same thing. Um, but it's definitely easier to build something for yourself. But what an interesting insight is, is that there are so many industries and problems out there that need to be solved that the people in them, they don't really have the tools to do so. Um, there's not many former educators who are programmers, and I hope I'm not offending anybody who's in the audience who might be, but we just haven't experienced, seen anybody who's, who's been like a teacher and then built a tool for other teachers. So it's there's an obvious need there. They're looking for things. They just It was like it's giving water to somebody in a desert. So it's a really great um, thing to do as a business is finding a problem that needs to be solved and it isn't currently being solved. And if it happens to be something that uh, you experience, that makes it easier because you don't have to get the domain knowledge. But even if there is something that exists, that's a great opportunity to take. So earlier you mentioned that your first customer was somebody who was in the audience when you guys were, were sort of pitching the business and did he play, he or she play a, a role in um, helping you guys understand the, the business of the industry? I mean, how were you building this knowledge? Uh, yeah, he was a good start um, because he was a teacher, like that was good insight for the product specifically. But in that first year, we also reached out with um, professors in the field of like education and we sort of built like this network around us of interesting people and people who knew the industry, both from the people like professors teaching new teachers, current teachers, people who work in the district, people who work in like ministries and departments of education, that kind of thing. So you get the like full picture of like what's going on. And if you're doing something, a business where you don't have that domain knowledge, it's yes, you're going to need to find people who know what's happening and then help solve their problems, right? Yeah. Okay. You know, I have I have some listeners who always uh, tell me, hey, you should talk more about the technology that, you know, because we all spend a lot of time talking about the idea and the validation and getting traction and the lessons. But 
you know, and now we've got the CTO on. So uh, just kind of in a nutshell, you know, t- t- tell me a little bit about your tech stack. What's what's Chalk.com built on? What, what are the technologies that you guys use? So we're Ruby on Rails and we have been since inception sort of randomly because when uh, Will first came to me, he's like, hey, have you done any web programming? And I'm like, no, but I just bought a book on Ruby on Rails and that was literally <laughs> the inception. Um, but we've gone along since then. We're still on Ruby on Rails and then we've sort of introduced uh, React for our front end and that's been particularly great. When you're a small startup, it helps um, to have something that's sort of tried and true, especially for most businesses where you're not doing necessarily like groundbreaking new stuff. Like most everything, it's like a CRUD app, right? Um, yeah. So you want to pick something that's, that's solid where you can, there's a huge user base where you can help like find people who've had the same problem sort of deal. And it, it makes it easier to scale and makes it easier to find people who know how to do it as well, right? I feel bad for people who just like choose some random new experimental technology and try to build a startup on it. Like the startup, you have so many problems. The last thing you want is to have problems with the product that are sort of outside of your control, right? Yeah. Yeah. I um, guess, I guess it probably makes hiring easier as well. If you want to, you, you want to, you know, bring on hire more engineers and things like that. Yeah. And it's more than that. One of the reasons we're on sort of react as well is like rails and the, like the two of them, it makes it easy to build product and it makes it easy to implement new features. Um, we were briefly using like backbone JS and at a certain point the application got so large and it became a real hassle just to add new things. And so far, like with our switch to React, we have the entire product suite has been rewritten and our velocity still is really, really high. Um, so choosing something that you can be productive in is also incredibly important. Because as a startup, you have to do like things really, really quickly, right? So I'm not familiar with React or haven't used it. Um can, is there an example you can give us of like something that you have, you know, something that you're using it for or something that's, that's easier to do now than, than maybe it was with other JS libraries? Yeah. Well, the biggest difference for, so we previously we were on backbone and it just how it happened. Like say I wanted to insert like a button or something. Um, maybe we weren't doing it right, but we'd have to add a reference to the view, which is what gets rendered you'd have to link it to the code that gets called for when you hit that button or something like that. And then you have to write the code for that button. React just gets rid of that and streamlines a lot of it so that your, the view code is like right there. So it's like very, very simple to see, okay, well, what's actually being shown on screen. And then where, where is this reference? Like, okay, when I click it, Oh, I see that's that function that's called. I don't have to like follow all these bloody breadcrumbs to find out what's happening. And it's made it really easy. So I just want to be, okay, I want to insert like this new button to do this random task. It's like, boom, 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 done. Instead of having to jump through a million different files to add it. I'm going to, I'm going to have to make some time to play around with that myself. So I would suggest it. It's interesting. Good tip. So looking back uh, at this journey that, that you've taken in, in building this business, is there one thing that if you could kind of go back and sort of tell yourself when you started on this journey that you wish you had known when you started out, what, what would that be? Yeah. I, if I'd known how long it would take to do things in education and how long it would take to get to this point, I don't know if I would have jumped on board, but I think it's been worth it. 
Okay, that's sort of an interesting side note is one thing I've just sort of realized is that advice and knowledge like finds you sort of when you need it. Um, we sort of rejiggered our entire sales process like this year and we'd done it by finding all this information about how to do it. Um, but the thing is that information was there like from the beginning, but you just had no idea that existed. And then had somebody shown it to us, we probably wouldn't have understand it what was important about it. So those problems still come up to you. It's like, oh, it's like obvious. Why haven't you been doing this from the beginning when somebody could have told us that like three years ago, but I don't think we would have really understood the gravity of like how important that was. Yeah. I, I, makes I, any sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, um, I came across this term a while back called just in time learning. And I think that that's kind of really valuable in terms of, you know, wh- whether you're learning a new programming language or whether you're doing, you know, building a business, there is so much you can learn. And, and if you are sort of a learning oriented person, which I, I, I am, you, you can kind of end up wasting a huge amount of time learning things that you don't need to know right now, that you're not going to go and implement right now, you're not going to use right now. Um, yeah, and, and you'd be completely blind to the things that you actually need. Yeah, yeah. So I think just this kind of focus on try to do this just in time learning. Think about what you can execute on. Set yourself a very sort of a finite amount of time to learn a very specific thing, and then spend more time going and executing on it, learning, and then it's kind of you know using that sort of rinse and repeat kind of approach. Okay, cool. So. How, how big is the size of the team these days? How many people do you have working there? Uh, I think we're over over 10 something. I've lost count. Are, are you guys still hiring? Do you have open positions? Uh, not at the moment. Probably next year though. Okay, cool. Well, I mean, we're always hiring if we find cool people. Yeah, yeah. You can always That's make how it always is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is there something that's sort of one part of the business that you're most excited about that you can talk about? And what's next for Chalk? Yeah, actually, it was really fantastic. So we sort of mapped out our, our product direction for like the next like year or so. And Chalk.com started out as like a productivity suite, right? But going forward, we sort of want to be sort of a, a personal assistant for teachers because they have so many things they need to do, like how do we help highlight the important things? Um, so we really want to look into how do we determine sort of like where our students falling behind um, and sort of highlight to that, that to the teachers or even say, Oh, well, this specific lesson plan that you planned, the students actually didn't do so well on that. And then you can sort of tie back to saying, okay, maybe for next year, when you redo this, try something different and see if that actually helps. So that's sort of a continuous improvement and then helping highlight the things that they need to do to improve other jobs. Right. Do you solve any scenarios for parents in that picture? I mean, because when you said that, I was like, God, I'd love to know more when one of my kids is struggling with something at school rather than finding out when I see a grade or when I go to a parent-teacher conference. If I kind of knew earlier and I had some signs of, of maybe somebody's, you know, struggling at something, then maybe I can do something more to help with that as well. Yeah, we actually have plans for that. And it's sort of an interesting problem because teach, like parents, they really want uh, insight into what's going on in the classroom, right? But teachers want to sort of control that conversation because they don't want to be hounded by parents all the time. Like, oh, is my kid 
got a bad mark on this random assignment. It becomes more work for them. So part of it is like, how do you let teachers get insight into the classroom while also sort of maintaining sort of uh, almost like office hours or something like that, where they can get an insight without overwhelming the teacher with feedback. Um, so yeah, we're definitely thinking about it. See, that, that's a really, really good point there, right? Because um, for somebody like me who doesn't understand that space as well as you do, I can come up with ideas like this, which on the face of it sound like great ideas. But yeah. as you just explained, when you sort of look at the nuances of what a teacher has to struggle with and deal with, um, they're probably not going to use your product if you open it up too much to people like me as a parent, yeah, exactly. because it's probably not going to make them more productive. It's going to probably waste more of their time. Yeah, so you realize it's like, well, that's like a great idea, but then it's like the person who would use it, they hate it. So they're like, <laughs> oh, okay, well, I didn't realize that. Yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. Uh, it's time for our lightning round. I- I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and I'd like you to answer them as quickly as you can. You ready? Sure. What's the best piece of business advice that you ever received? You know, I haven't, like... I was thinking about this earlier today and I couldn't come up with one. And that's when I sort of started thinking about the advice sort of finds you when you need it. And if I were to tell you something now, the advice I would give you maybe a year from now is completely different or even a year back. Right. So I don't actually have any current advice that I could think of, but. Okay. Well, the, the, your advice is get advice when you need it at the right time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what book would you recommend to our audience and why? Oh man, um, right now I'm currently reading the Elon Musk biography. Uh, if anything, it gives you perspective about how hard things could be. Uh, at least the software I'm writing doesn't cause things to physically explode. <laughs> yeah. Love that. Um, and what's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful entrepreneur? One word, hunger. Hunger. Uh, what's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? Uh, right now I use a lot of Trello, just visually seeing like the progress of like, like things that are in pro- like, what do you need to do this week? And then how, like, what are you working on right now? It's much better than like a list. Cause previously I used this on it, but it, things just get lost. Yeah. I, I, Trello, I it's like nice. Yeah. I, I love Trello. I'm a big fan of Trello. I had, uh, Michael Pryor uh, on the show a while back. Um, and, you know, every time I, I talk to somebody who is maybe struggling trying to organize things uh, and maybe they're kind of using more of like a list based product that isn't working for them. Um, you know, I just had people who didn't know about Trello and when they discover it, they're just like in love with it. Right. Because there's just something about yeah. it that it doesn't take a lot of time to learn it's um, the visual piece of it is really good for certain types of people. Um, They're like digital sticky notes. Yeah. <laughs> this is another way that you can do. I have a lot of those on the wall as well. All right. Uh, what's um, a new business idea or a crazy idea that you have in your head that you'd love to pursue if you had the extra time? Oh man. See, I don't know. If this didn't work out, I'd probably give enough like education another shot at this point, but I haven't really been thinking of anything interesting. Well, I mean, there's lots of like big things I'd love to do, like um, electric car company, Elon Musk, you know, that'd be pretty cool. 
Yeah. Well, maybe I think right now um, we could probably do with uh, slightly more affordable alternatives to Tesla. So there you go. Maybe that's the opportunity for there you. you. Go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, and what's uh, an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? Uh, one thing you all know about me is like, as, as long as the more you get to know me, the more you'll realize that I'm like a walking Wikipedia. Know a lot of random crap. Uh, tell me something. <laughs> oh man, I don't only have to, you'd have, it, it, I can never pull it out randomly. It has to be in sort of a random conversation. In a context of a conversation. <laughs> yeah. It's only contextually accessed. <laughs> and finally, what is one of your most important passions outside of your work? Uh, reading. I read uh, a lot and I recommend it if you like it. <laughs> cool. All right, Ryan, um, thanks. It's been a pleasure. Um, now, if folks want to find out more about uh, Chalk, they can go to chalk.com. Um, and if they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, Ryan at chalk.com. Cool. Just my name at chalk.com. Awesome. Um, thanks, man. I wish you all the best. Uh, and uh, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thank you. There's a world where your CRM is powerful, easily configured, and deeply intuitive. Atio makes that a reality. Atio is built specifically for the next generation of companies. It syncs with your data sources, easily configures to their unique structures, and works for any go-to-market motion from self-serve to sales-led. Atio automatically enriches your contacts, syncs your emails and calendar, gives you powerful reports, and lets you quickly build Zapier-style automations. The next generation of companies deserve more than an inflexible, one-size-fits-all CRM. Join 11 Labs, Replicate, Modal, and more, and scale your startup to the next level. Get your free account at atio.com. That's A-T-T-I-O dot com. Attention SaaS founders, are you determined to scale your B2B business to that coveted million-dollar ARR milestone? I've got something that can help you get there faster. Introducing the SaaS Club newsletter, your weekly companion on the journey to SaaS success. Packed with proven strategies, practical insights, and exclusive interviews with B2B SaaS founders who've been where you are, this newsletter is your ticket to accelerated growth. Each week, in just five minutes, you'll gain access to a treasure trove of growth tactics, lessons learned, and insider tips to help you navigate the challenges of the early stages and scale your business to seven figures and beyond. So why wait? Become part of a 4,000 plus strong community of SaaS founders and entrepreneurs who are already harnessing these insights to drive their growth. Visit sasclub.io slash newsletter and subscribe to the SaaS Club newsletter today. Gain the support and expertise you need to keep forging ahead on your SaaS journey.